Hello, I'm excited you found your way here. I'm your host, Ashley Rennick, and you're listening to Waldorfy. In each episode, I explore and explain Waldorf education and its anthroposophical roots. Hello, everybody, and as always, thank you so much for listening in. In this episode, I'm going to be speaking all about screens and the use of digital technology. It's interesting. I feel now, as a parent, interested in the Waldorf approach. I've never seen it written out anywhere. Like, parents who are interested in Waldorf for their children, no more screens for you and no digital technology for you. And yet, as I've kind of gone down this rabbit hole of Waldorf, and I'm sure some of you have maybe experienced as well, there's definitely something there, like limiting screen time, the use of digital technology is appropriate for young children, especially um, for those that are interested and begin to pursue the Waldorf approach for their family and young children. So how is there? How is this connected? Well, I can certainly speak to my experience. And later on in this episode, I'm going to be speaking with my fantastic guest, Eloise Rickman, the author of Extraordinary Parenting. She runs a blog at freetobemighty.com. And many of you may know her from her Instagram account, which is Mighty Mother. So I'm going to be speaking with her later in this episode. She was really the absolute ideal guest for this episode. She was so conscious in creating uh, an approach to the use of digital technology in her home with her young daughter and has also run a course on uh, how to approach and work through navigate the use of digital technology for families, as well as she's quite familiar with the Waldorf approach to education as well. I, of course, have to thank all of the wonderful Waldorf Patreon supporters. What's Patreon, you may be wondering? Patreon is a platform where you can support creators like myself with a small monthly contribution. The Waldorfview podcast has always been a free, accessible resource for all, but free doesn't pay the bills. Believe it or not, just the cost of one nice coffee or latte a month really goes a long way to help me keep creating the show. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a supporter, please visit patreon.com forward slash Waldorfee and Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I also have to thank our fantastic Waldorfview podcast partner, Sparkle Stories. Sparkle Stories offers 1,400 original audio stories for children ages three and up. You can find a playlist of audio stories for young children that accompany this week's episode, plus sign up for an extended 30-day free trial by using the coupon code Waldorfee at sparklestories.com forward slash Waldorfee. I just love Sparkle Stories and all they offer, and you'll get to hear me speak a little bit more about that later in this episode. So what was my experience attending a Waldorf school and my parents interested in the Waldorf approach and their approach to screens? My mom spoke in the podcast uh, last season and in that episode, she goes into how she really didn't know very much about uh, anthroposophy, the roots of Waldorf education and anthroposophy. Uh, But the one thing that really resonated with her that she really tried to follow through with was limiting screen time. At the time when I was a young child, the screen time in question was really just TV, was television and movies. And uh, the way, you know, my mom felt was the less that we kind of had, the better it was for all of us. This shifted over time for a variety of reasons. Over time, as we got older, we were allowed to, you know, watch more and more TV um, and and movies, of course. Uh, and yeah, that definitely changed over time. But for sure, when we were when we were young, it was quite limited. My mom didn't come to learn about the Waldorf approach until I was 
later toddlerhood, I would say, and I have two younger sisters. So when I was actually really quite little, my mom was allowing me to watch TV. I think some days even in like copious amounts when she would have a young little baby at home. Uh, and I think in, through her observation, she just was seeing like this wasn't supporting my development in any way. Um, so when she found the Waldorf approach and began to learn that there's some kind of connection there and that she could really observe and see from her own experience as a stay-at-home mom, um, she really followed through with beginning to apply setting limits with us around um, our screen time and our screen use, especially I was the oldest at the time for me. At the beginning, what she did, she just allowed us to um, watch TV on some portions of weekend days. And I think part of that, too, is that she could actually have conversation in like time with my dad, I'm sure, um, you know, because it can be really hard to have an adult conversation when you have uh, three young children around all the time. So we get to watch some TV. We never were um, in our house a zero TV family or zero screen time. Um, and I think that definitely, you know, worked for us at the time. It evolved over time. Uh, the limits, uh, you know, opened a little more. And that was very gradual and natural and definitely um, kind of was in line with uh, what most of the parents in our uh, Waldorf school class were doing as well. So I do remember um, there were a couple of boys that were allowed to watch some things, you know, movies that were, uh, that my mom maybe wouldn't have allowed me to watch or some of my other little friends would, would not have been uh, allowed to watch at the time. I'm thinking like grades, you know, five and six, where it's like you're on that tipping point of being able to watch like a PG-13 movie with, you know, violence and whatnot. Um, so, you know, it, it didn't always match up in a line, but uh, the parents really generally all kind of followed the same more or less the same approach to screen time. This has shifted so much over the years, hasn't it? Since I was a little Waldorf kid in the 90s, screen time, that that's just that term has evolved so much to include so much more. Really, uh, the way Eloise Rickman refers to what we discuss in this episode is not just an approach to screens, but the overall use of digital technologies for young children. And I really love how she expanded um, on just the term screen time. And you'll get to hear her talk about that later in this episode. Something I hadn't even really clocked is I always think of um, us, my family, my young children is totally screen free. And I've said that and used that term many times. But really, my children use digital technology um, in their life almost on a daily basis. Uh, I say that because I do live, uh, at least for a portion of the year, very far from family, grandparents and aunts uh, and cousins, and we use FaceTime. Um, and I have personally even tried to limit the FaceTime because I find just in observing my son, who's now three and a half, well, actually he's almost four, um, that it like prolonged chunks of FaceTime do not work for him. And that is the only actual screen time, visual screen time that he's getting at this point. And even just more than like 10 minutes is way too much. I um, mean, he gets really uh, wound up and then kind of acts really bananas. <laughs> I say that in a, in a gentle term. I think that you all can understand when I use that, that he, he really just is quite, um, it's like his energy somehow goes focused into the small screen on our phones for the short period of time and then has to like explode afterwards, um, which I kind of, I don't know, I kind of can understand in a way. I wonder even if I feel a little bit of that, but I'm better at self-regulation, I suppose, as an adult, right? 
So yeah, it, I have found that even just that little amount is is really all that that we can manage at this point. And I'll speak to more about uh, you know our approach to screen time after I've spoken with Eloise. The other use of digital uh, technology that we have almost on a daily basis, of course, is our use of Sparkle stories and listening to audio stories. This I've observed my son has the opposite reaction of how he is when he is sitting watching a screen and then has his energy, like I said, explode afterwards. After listening to a Sparkle story, he is, you know, often goes off into this like calm play by himself and is really entertained and relaxed instead of like getting more and more wound up. Speaking of Sparkle stories... Have you been looking for something specially crafted to entertain and enrich your child's developing mind? Wouldn't it be amazing if this content promoted values like kindness, empathy, and respect to help build a gentler world? Would you love a break but feel a little guilty about turning the TV on? Then you're going to be pretty excited to learn about Sparkle Stories. With Sparkle Stories, your family can enjoy a world of 1,400 plus original audio stories for ages three and up. Sparkle Stories is dedicated to helping the world go a little slower and be a little kinder. Their audio-only approach invites children to adventure, wonder, and dream in a safe and secure way. Audio stories are a low-pressure way to make even the shyest of readers hungry for more adventure and learning. My older son is three and a half, and I love that I can search for stories based on his age or story topic. For him, I love that stories are recorded slowly for young ears, ensuring maximum comprehension and enjoyment. It's been such a nice way to build a quiet rest time into our active days. I've also gifted Sparkle Stories to my six-year-old niece twice now, and I know she enjoys the longer tales and ongoing series. My favorite thing about Sparkle Stories? It is such a great alternative to the TV. Their audio-only stories spur children to use their imaginations and grow their curiosity compared to image-based entertainment like TV. Especially having our new little one in the house, I love using Sparkle Stories to keep my three-year-old's mind engaged and having fun while I get things done. I've teamed up with Sparkle Stories to offer an extended 30-day free trial so you can enjoy the entire library of Sparkle Stories, over 1,400 original audio stories for ages three and up, and you can trust me, you will enjoy. To check out a list of the Sparkle Stories our family enjoys most and additional playlists of stories to accompany each episode throughout the seventh season, I know, so cool, you can check out sparklestories.com forward slash Waldorfy. To get access to your 30-day free trial of Sparkle Stories just for Waldorfy listeners, just visit sparklestories.com forward slash sign up and use code Waldorfy at checkout, and that code is good through the end of 2022. I just love Sparkle Stories' selection of gentle stories for growing minds. So what is my understanding now as a parent interested in the Waldorf approach? Well, as I mentioned earlier, still I have never seen it in plain sight. You know, there should be no digital technology used for Waldorf kids. Um, I think what the Waldorf approach tries to do and offers young children is try to meet them where they are at developmentally. We've talked about that so many times on this show. And I think that the question that Waldorf education brings in a broad sense is what is the digital technology offering the child at the developmental stage that they're at, at the phase of development that, that they are at? And I think the I think there's also an attention on if there is this use of digital technology 
for the young child, what could, what could that possibly also be taking away from? So in terms of their health and well-being, obviously, uh, you know, if they're in front of a television for or a tablet for hours and hours a day, then they're not moving their bodies and not developing and moving into their limbs, as we've talked about before in the show, is just so ex- important for them to explore really learning and developing into their physical body. I think that's actually one of the largest reasons why if you have your child in an early Waldorf childhood program that you may experience this, uh, you know, less screen time and less in the use of digital technologies is better as well. It's also interesting to note just what I've come to understand as an interested parent in this uh, topic of the use of digital technologies is that it's not just a Waldorf thing. There are other approaches to education and parenting that also recommend or advise in limiting or having no screen time or use of digital technologies uh, for very young children. I know for screen time, television, tablet use, I think I had thought the American Academy of Pediatrics was advising the amount of zero under three, Um, but I think that that's actually two years old, not three years old now. I mean, I could be wrong on that. I can't remember when I last looked that up. Um, The other interesting thing that I have seen, and I will link to it on the show notes page for this episode, which is waldorfee.com forward slash screens, and I'll mention that again later. I found a TED Talk that uh, Dr. Dimitri Christakis uh, did some years ago, maybe I can't remember what year. I actually emailed him right when I started the podcast because I wanted to have him come on to speak on this topic as a guest, um, and I was not able to get him on the show. But it's a really great talk, and one of the topics he touches on is how learning uh, language skills, letters, things of that nature, just aren't learned as well for the young child as they are learned uh, through an environment where there is an adult or someone actually interacting with them face-to-face versus a screen. Uh, and that's something interesting he touches on in that TED Talk, and there's some other interesting stuff in there too. So I'll make sure to link to that on the show notes page for this episode. I am going to leave it at that for now because my conversation with Eloise now is quite long. This is the longest episode in this season. We could have gone on and talked about so much more, but um, I really I really feel I wanted to expand on this uh, topic for a lot of you listeners. And a lot of you listeners, I have to say, one of the questions I actually get asked the most outside of like what's Waldorf is how do I decrease my screen time? Like I'm already in this place where my children are in front of screens, tablets, using digital technology all the time and I don't know how to rein it in and I don't know what's appropriate. Um, And Eloise is also going to recommend quite a few resources. Again, those are gonna be linked to on the show notes page for this episode, which is waldorfee.com forward slash screens. And our conversation is so great. Now I'm just gonna leave it to my conversation with Eloise. Hello, Eloise. Thank you so much for speaking with me today for the show. I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. It's been a while now that I've wanted to have you. Actually, you are one of the guests that has been like requested that I have not had. I had never even mentioned that to you. There's like a handful of people where a lot of listeners are like, you should have so-and-so on the show. And you are definitely on the top of that list of people. So I'm really excited that I get to speak with you all about screens. I'm wondering... What research do you have found helpful in creating your family's approach to screens? Oh, this is such a good question. And I think it has changed quite a lot, actually, in the few years since I've been really thinking about screens and screen time, both for my own family, but also sort of supporting 
supporting parents and clients that I've worked with around this topic as well. And I think when I first started approaching screen time and thinking what we would do about use of technology in our family, I started by looking at books like um, Unplugged Parenting by Elizabeth Kilby, um, books like The Art of Screen Time by Anya, um, I'm not going to pronounce her name properly, Kamenetz, um, books like The Big Disconnect by Catherine Steiner-Adair, basically books which were sort of looking at how parents might be thinking about screens and screen time and technology use for their children um, and looking at some of the, I suppose, pitfalls of using these technologies, but also some of the ways where families can rethink their boundaries and structures about this. And I think I found those quite useful when my daughter was younger and thinking about how we wanted to approach technology use as a family. And I think from the beginning, we always knew that we wanted to be I suppose, quite mindful about how we approach that. But as my daughter has gotten older, so she's nearly seven now at the time of recording, I've been also thinking a lot more generally about not so much the research into screens themselves, and this is perhaps something that we'll come on to and talk a little bit more about later on in our conversation, but really thinking about the sort of, I suppose, the tensions at play when considering how we use technology as a family. And I've been really interested in the work of Sonia Livingston, who is an academic here in London. She works at um, the London School of Economics, and she writes a lot about sort of children's digital rights and the way that children um, are using digital technologies now in their, in their lives and how sort of parents have thought about that and responded to that, but also looking at how we can think of children's digital use in different ways. So she recently did some work, for example, on, um, on thinking about like digital play, which I found really interesting because we don't tend to think about digital time as play time, or at least it's not something that I had really thought about. So you can find her work, a lot of it she shares online with blogs and things like that. And she also has um, books out as well. So I really recommend those to anyone who is also thinking about screen use and although she's an academic I found her writing is very accessible to other parents as well but it has certainly been a journey for me in terms of thinking of technology use for children as something which is you know a, a kind of clear question of risks versus benefits versus now I think I think about our technology use as a family in a sort of broader sense and thinking about what rights my daughter has in terms of deciding her own screen use and how we how we suppose balance the need to still keep our daughter safe because we're her parents and also balancing the right that she has to make decisions about her own life and to make decisions which will potentially not always be the right decision because as humans we all make decisions which aren't always necessarily in our best interest and we learn from those and so that's sort of where I'm at at the moment I suppose the thing that I'm thinking about the most is that sense of how do we get that right and that that pull between wanting to protect our children and wrap them in cotton wool and keep them safe versus giving them the space and time and flexibility to use different forms of technology in different ways and letting them lead on what they're interested in as well so yeah and maybe I can send you um, some links or some recommended books or articles that you can put in the show notes as well. 
That would be fantastic. And that's something I think is so important that's tied into this conversation, which is this isn't, I mean, I loved books like uh, Expecting Better by Emily mm. Oster. I loved, um, she wrote Crib Cheat. I just read that before I had my second. Books that kind of talk about the data behind decision-making and uh, why you know certain practices are recommended. And something like screens, it's so, this is all really new. I mean, when we were growing up, I certainly can speak for myself. This just, it wasn't, screen time wasn't the same kind of conversation as it, as it is now. I didn't even have a computer in my home, like until I was 11 or 12, maybe yeah. 13. So, um, and certainly not like tablets or anything. So it's just, this is something I feel, you know, we have no basis for from our own upbringing, which is kind which is maybe not great because we don't have that, but also maybe great because we have the opportunity to totally shape something just right for our families. So I'm wondering what other factors came into, what other factors contribute to how you go through planning or structuring your choices around screen time for your family? And then, you know, what obviously as well you see come up with the parents and carers that you work with too. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing to say is that like screen time I think is sometimes an unhelpful phrase and I completely understand why we use it because I think we understand as parents and caregivers what we mean by screen time but I think when we're thinking about it in terms of our children I actually think that sometimes the term screens or screen time can be quite limiting in terms of then what we choose to do as parents and caregivers, because screens are not all doing the same thing. You know, when I'm reading on my Kindle, it's not the same as when I'm watching a movie. When I'm watching a movie, it's not the same as when I'm writing my book or when I'm writing an essay, which is also not the same as when I'm doing some research, which is also not the same as when I'm, you know, listening to a podcast or looking at what's on the news. And I think that I, as an adult, wouldn't see those activities as all being lumped into the same category. But yet, I think often the discourse around children and screens tends to sort of lump children's use of digital technologies into the same basket. And we don't spend very much time picking apart what those different things are. So even if a child, for example, is spending, say, an hour on some form of digital technology, you know, I'm more interested in, okay, but what are they doing for that time? Are they using all of that time watching a film? Are they using some of that time to learn a new skill? Are they spending time FaceTiming grandparents? So I think before we even begin thinking about sort of how we how we approach technology, I think it can be helpful to think about some of the different things that our children might be using digital technologies for. And I think that immediately starts making it easier because we might feel, okay, you know, I have a, a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old what sorts of activities might be appropriate for them and what are the sorts of activities which I feel might be better for them to hold on and maybe, you know, come to later on in their life. And I think immediately that starts making it feel a little bit less overwhelming for parents when they start thinking about these things. I know that's definitely felt less overwhelming for me to start thinking about. So, for example, as I said, my daughter is nearly seven and she does use screens she does use digital technology but I would say for the most part she will use those either as part of our home education together so we'll sometimes use websites like mystery science or we will research things we'll watch youtube videos of 
dance or um, recently it's been the Winter Olympics. So watching some of the clips from the Winter Olympics, for example. Um, but she also will watch some shows which are age appropriate um, on Netflix or on another sort of streaming platform. But at her age, she also doesn't have free access to things like YouTube. And she also doesn't have her own phone or her own tablet. So it's still very much used, sort of using shared equipment, which comes from me or my husband. So she'll either use our phone or more likely she'll use one of the laptops we have in our family. So I think just breaking it down can be really helpful for the beginning to think what might be appropriate for a three-year-old is probably not going to be what's appropriate for a 13-year-old. Um, so I think that's where I would begin with, of sort of looking at the sort of things that they might be using or they might be exposed to. I think then, as I said, there's a tension for us in terms of wanting to keep our daughter sort of protected from the more harmful aspects of technology. So it was interesting, before I came and talked to you, I did a little survey on my Instagram account and YouTube was something which came up unprompted for so many families as something that they felt concerned about. And for similar reasons, we haven't, um, we don't let our daughter use YouTube sort of unsupervised. You know, she might go and watch like a cat video on there, but she wouldn't do that alone. And that's because from the research I've done, and there's a really interesting book actually called New Dark Age by someone called James Bridle, which came out a couple of years ago. And he talks a lot about YouTube in there and how um, a lot of the content on YouTube, which is marketed at children, is kind of quite unpleasant, some of it. Um, but also a lot of it is just kind of pumped out by computers and by algorithms and is just kind of rubbish. Like it's junk food kind of digital content. And it's something which came up a lot for the yeah, for the different parents who are responding to this. So I think thinking about things like how do we keep her safe from the content we would rather her not be consuming at this point, whilst also not portraying digital technologies as something which is to be feared. Because I think, you know, like it or not, we do live in a society, most of us, where screens are how we do things. You know, when I think about, again, my daily life, I use my phone to connect with my friends. I use it to check the weather. I use it to update social media, which is an important part of my work. I use my laptop to do research, to socialize, to watch movies, to watch documentaries. You know, we use it for, for so many things. And so many of us will be living in a world where technology is just not only sort of used for work, but it's how we do things. You know, it's how we bank, it's how we um, connect with people. And I think that giving children the sense that that is to be feared is also not something I'm particularly comfortable with. I think that we have probably a responsibility as people who are raising children to prepare them for, for that world. And I don't think that has to be by dumping it all on them at a very young age and saying, OK, this is a laptop, go forth and enjoy. Um, I think we can be sort of um, a little bit more deliberate in the sorts of things that we choose to share with children at different ages. But I do think that we have a responsibility to also give our children the digital skills that they need to be able to access all of these things online, which otherwise they wouldn't be able to access. And I think that's important in terms of, yeah, in terms of their rights to, to participate and have access to wider society. So that's definitely something I think of, that big tension between 
wanting to protect, but also wanting to give the skills that she will need for the future. And I think that is something which again comes up so much for so many of the parents that I work with. I think this tension is what makes screen time a really, a really interesting and a sort of a really right point to think about all sorts of things from sort of how we share power in our families. You know, where are we using power to tell to our children, well, we don't want you to do this or we want you to do this. And how is that sort of fairly deliberated or shared or contested or negotiated together? Um, yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting space from that perspective. And I think a lot of parents, like you say, you know, we don't actually have research telling us what the long-term impacts of growing up with digital technology will be. And that makes it kind of a very interesting space, but also I think one where a lot of parents, including myself, feel kind of torn about what to do. Yes. And I so enjoyed how you reframed screen time there. Like it's, we don't have to have this binary, like screen time bad, not screen time, what we should be doing. Um, that's, that's really helpful. And also modeling that screen time and the use of screens and digital technology isn't something to be feared. I think of that often, um, you know, and how that aligns with our approach, as I'll get to speaking to later in this episode. There's something also that we haven't mentioned yet, which I think is important for a lot of people in the like Waldorf sphere who are still operating under the like, no screen time, all screen time yes. bad kind of approach, which is, it's also, it's quite privileged to be able to navigate through through life with that approach. I think um, I, before having children, I, I grew up really without uh, much screen time, my husband, like way even more. So I don't think he watched like anything on TV or a movie or like nothing until he was like eight or like nine. Um, and that's like his, he had a mom who was able to be home with him. I had a mom who was home with me and mm -hmm. able to like supervise and care and offer me like all this support and care all the time. And not all children have that. I'm thinking of circumstances where children are home alone for hours and hours and hours. And in my mind, I have to imagine them, you know, watching TV, for example, being a lot safer than other things or activities that they could be doing. So there, I feel like we kind of have to open up uh, the discussion to, it's not just, we have to say, you know, what's right and what we're working on in our home for our family is not going to be the same for another family. And when I asked you about other factors um, in terms of what can contribute to how a family, you know, chooses to navigate this topic, um, I think it's I think it's kind of important to bring in that that piece, right? That it's it's Definitely. also it's also pretty privileged to be able to be so intentional about the kind of choices we're making around digital technology and screen time. I think privilege and screens is a really interesting topic because I think it cuts both ways. So I completely agree with you, but I think especially with very little children, there is a big privilege in being able to kind of opt in or opt out and having that choice at all to be able to make the decision that, oh, I won't, you know, we won't use screens until our children are two or three or four, or to be able to be very um, intentional in what screen time they do use. Because again, you know, it's a big even just doing research on these things, reading books, reading papers, you know, this is all mental load. Um, and I think a lot of that still falls to the mothers in families as well, especially in sort of um, traditional relationships. But I also think that there's a flip side, and I think the pandemic massively showed this, there is also a huge privilege in being able to offer technology to your children. 
Um, and I know that in the US as well as here in the UK, when a lot of schools moved to um, Zoom school or digital school, there was suddenly an enormous divide in terms of the families who were able to provide iPads or laptops or even a mobile phone with adequate data and roaming um, to their children versus the families who have you know maybe one device or two devices and lots of children and who don't have sort of wi-fi packages who are using roaming from their phones and i have friends who are teachers who said the bridge between those two sorts of families you know the families who had access to this technology for their children and the families who didn't was just you know that that gap was so big and the trying to bridge that was incredibly difficult because so many schools are still operating with small reduced budgets. So I, do, I definitely think the kind of the privilege goes both ways. Um, and I also, and this is something I've thought a lot because I think I in the past have talked a lot about the privilege of being screen free or being able to be screen free. But I also wonder if talking about being screen free as a privilege is sort of saying that there is something inherently bad about offering technology to our children and I think so many parents feel guilt about it. Um, I did again this little survey and I think 75% of the 800 or so people who responded said that they felt guilty sometimes about the, the use of technology in their families and I think my view, you know, partly informed again by, by my own decisions of my daughter, but also just through working with so many different types of family is that unless our children are really sort of suffering with the screen use, and maybe we can come on to sort of, you know, when to, when you might know that this is happening or not. But I think that parents, the majority of parents anyway, I think are pretty intentional about the screen use that they offer their children. I can't think of any parents I've spoken to who say, oh, we have absolutely no you know, family rules or limits on how long or, or what content can be used online. Um, I think most parents are thinking about how to best navigate this. And I think sometimes this ideal that, well, there should be absolutely no screens until two or three or four or six or you know, whenever, um, it can be held up as a privilege, but I think it's sometimes then will make parents feel quite guilty about that and about the choice to not do that or perhaps they don't have a choice to not do that you know if you've got a baby who absolutely you know screams all the time because they've got terrible colic and you just need to put them down for two seconds to change their nappy and putting on a little video will distract them while you've also got a toddler who needs something um you know I think those parents don't need to feel any guilt even though you know the the sort of the recommendations will tend to be no screens until two is ideal. I think that sometimes by opening up the discussion and saying, look, you know, again, all screen time is not created equal. And that actually, from a lot of the research that I've done, it really, that really does come through the sense that actually screen use in itself is not harmful. It's what is harmful is when it becomes so much that children aren't doing other things, which are you know, nourishing their brains or their bodies. And also that the quality of if they're consuming things, so if they're consuming TV, for example, which I imagine for the vast majority of people with young children, that will be the sort of thing they're navigating. You know, the quality of what children are watching really matters. So watching, again, these sort of, you know, two hour clips of um, weird 
sort of cartoony songs on YouTube is probably not something that I would recommend to anyone. But someone who is, you know, shoving their child, like, you know, sweet little gentle cartoons. I think there is a world of difference in these things. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally agree that there's privilege, I think, on both ends. And I think even the, the possibility of having that mental space to be able to think about these things in such detail is an enormous privilege. Um, but I also think that, I mean, as I said, you know, we made a decision to try and not use screens until my daughter was maybe two or so. And even then it was very, very gradual. And I do see that as a privilege to be able to make that decision because again, I hadn't gone back to work. I was beginning to be self-employed very slowly. So we had time to do things. But now, you know, I think if even if we could be completely screen free, I don't think I would choose to make that decision for our family because I can just see the enormous benefits that technology and screen use have brought to my daughter's life and to so many other children. And again, I think sometimes it can fall into a very binary discussion of either, you know, screen's good and thus we don't need to limit them or do anything or screen's bad and therefore we need to really control them. And I think that the most, vast majority of parents are in that grey area where we don't necessarily want to ban all technology from our families, but we also want to make sure that our children are safe, are happy, are flourishing, are thriving, and are getting the most enjoyment and, you know, the, the best kind of experience when they're using those forms of technology. And this is exactly the kind of conversation that I wanted to have and knew that I could have with you, which is, you know, so wise in breaking down that there is, it's just a huge gray area for all of us navigating. And uh, especially in the world of Waldorf, I feel like conversations centered on screens are so just black and white. Like mm -hmm. we were saying, it can be so, you know, screens are bad and no screens is good. And I like this conversation where we're navigating kind of a little bit of, of middle ground. It's good for me anyways, because growing up, not using any time watching you know movies and tvs so much and especially for my husband it's like you know also researching and this is kind of the whole point of me starting this podcast when i did and researching and learning more about all the things kind of about waldorf is you know well what what does the research say and like actually mm. like actually it doesn't have to be so black and white and kind of questioning and investigating all these different approaches and figuring out what works best for us. So um, I'm sure that's what I guess a lot of other parents interested in the Waldorf approach are doing too. And I hope are able to gain from this conversation. I'm wondering what your top three tips are for parents and carers who are trying to set themselves up for a healthy approach to screens and screen time in their household. Mm, that's a good question, isn't it? Top three. So I think I think first and foremost is looking at the child in front of you rather than what any experts, what any books, what any research has to say. And I think sometimes it can be so tempting to turn to data or to turn to research to tell us what we should be doing in our families or indeed to turn to work of people like Steiner and what the Steiner community is saying. I think it can be really useful sometimes when we're grappling with decisions to bring those things in but I think we can sometimes do that to such an extent that we're not seeing the child in front of us which is why I always really hesitate to say to any parent oh you know you need to decrease screen time or even you know sometimes you need to increase 
with your child's use of technology because I think each child will have such different needs and will flourish under such different yeah such such different I guess like limits I think so looking at the child in front of you and really paying attention I think as they're growing as well so what might have been working well for you as a family when your child was a toddler may well need revisiting when your child gets a little older and so on and I think being in really active conversation with your children around these things you know how are they feeling are there things they would like to do more of when it comes to technology are there things that they've tried and they feel uncomfortable with and I think this applies all the way up for when our children are teenagers you know rather than seeing the scare stories which are sometimes out there looking at the child in front of you and I think that comes down so much to our relationship with our individual child you know for me as my daughter is you know still at the age where she isn't using anything like social media but knowing parents who are at the stage where they're really grappling with that you know perhaps their child has just moved on to secondary school or high school and is suddenly has a social media account for the first time and you know parents who are wondering how to support their children through that you know I think I guess this is the foundation of all parenting isn't it but ensuring that we have a really strong relationship with our child where we feel that they can tell us anything and we will respond patiently and calmly to them without judging them or without punishing them or without feeling like we need to you know run to fix things for them also when things go wrong so I think my the first tip I would give would really be to focus on that relationship and to focus on the child in front of you so you know really observing how they are for example when they watch a movie when they play a game when they are spending time texting their friends as they get older you know how do they seem to you afterwards do they seem relaxed and happy do they seem stressed and unhappy and I think that is often a good clue for us in terms of our children's safety online as well and how things are going for them so really yeah really strengthening that relationship and I think that's something which happens before our children are using any sorts of screens, you know, the work that we do when we have babies and toddlers who might not be using screens for years, but still having that sense of, you know, you can talk to me about anything. I won't be judging you for what you've told me. You know, I'm always going to be a safe space for you to bring worries to. And I think that really opens up then, you know, a whole future relationship where we can talk to our children about the things that they might be seeing online. We can talk to them about some of the risks so that we can equip them to deal with a digital world rather than sort of just keeping it from them and then sending them out into that world and I think for me that always feels very reassuring to know that actually you know digital technologies are out there but I can influence my relationship with my daughter and that's always something I can do you know I can start today and I can always do better the next day um so that would be the first thing and then I think the second would be to let go of any guilt that you're feeling and I know this isn't really a tip as such in terms of navigating this but so many parents are carrying so much guilt around the use of technology and I think this can be especially true for parents who are part of alternative parenting or education communities so I think this happens a lot in um, in Waldorf communities or in Montessori communities where the ideal is still held up, I think, especially of the younger children as being screen free. And I think sometimes as parents, it can make us feel quite guilty and like it's sort of a, a dirty secret of ours. But I think, you know, especially with the pandemic that we've all just had and is still ongoing. But I think even without the pandemic, you know, 
using technology, as I said before, I think it brings huge benefits for children. Um, I think it can bring a lot of pleasure and joy, which is definitely something that isn't talked about enough as a benefit. I think often the benefits are seen as, oh, well, children learn more, children can, um, you know, they can develop their vocabularies or they can, it's great for if they're learning another language. But I think sometimes just actually saying, well, children might enjoy it and that might be okay. You know, we don't have to have a, a productive reason for everything that we're doing. Um, but I think also, you know, use of technology can free up some time and some headspace for parents. And I know that for me, you know, my daughter will often watch um, a couple of shows in the late afternoon. And I really value that time to either put dinner together or tidy up a bit or just if I don't have any chores to do, just to rest and put my feet up and read my book alongside her. And I think that the more guilt that we tend to feel about these things, you know, it doesn't do us any good it doesn't necessarily change the way that we do things um but it just serves to make us feel horrible and I think then when we feel guilty is when we often start um sort of responding to our children's wishes to use technology with a sort of knee-jerk reaction and I think that's often when I have felt guilty about it which I have it's often when I then will feel like I need to go and put in some sort of arbitrary limits or go in and reduce screen time um, without any kind of consultation with my daughter, whose life it happens to be. Um, and I think it shuts down our ability to be genuinely sort of curious and open-minded when it comes to how our children are using technology. And again, I think that that open-mindedness and that curiosity is what enables us to have that healthy and open relationship with them, which I was talking about in sort of our, our first tip. So I think those are the two things I would really begin with, beginning with a relationship with a child in front of you, and then sort of trying to let go sometimes of your own guilt. And that could mean, again, you know, looking at your own screen use, if you are following people who are making you feel guilty, if you're reading blogs, which are making you feel super guilty about it, you know, maybe that's a time to, to be kind of looking at the influences on you as well. Um, which brings me to my third point, which is probably the most important and also the hardest, which is I think when we're thinking about our children's use of technology, I think the thing which is often left out of the conversation is how we are modeling our screen use to our children. And I think it's very, it often feels much easier to put limits and boundaries and control on how our children are spending their time, but not looking at ourselves because it's always easier to tell someone else how to be isn't it rather than changing ourselves but I think you know again so many of the parents who responded to my little survey over 80% said they struggled with their own screen time and again you know here I think this is why guilt is important to be looking at because I think again many of us feel guilty and we perhaps shouldn't be um, but I also do think that if we are trying to tell our children that they need to be really disciplined in terms of their technology use or that technology isn't for them yet at their age, but then at the same time, we're spending all of our time on Instagram or on WhatsApp or, you know, we're watching, you know, binge watching Netflix series ourselves, then I think we need to look at, I think it can be really useful to be looking at their screen use almost through the eyes of our screen use so I think sometimes you know if we feel that our screen use is rearing on the problematic which you know it can do and I think technology 
so much of it is designed to be really addictive. You know, we know that Instagram, social media, Facebook is really harmful in many of the ways and many of the um, both the ways in which we are compelled to use them more and more and we are sort of the product that's being sold to advertisers but also the way you know I know that recently Facebook has come under huge amounts of, of scrutiny for being able to allow conspiracy theories to flourish and allowing fake news to be taking root. So I think in that sense you know looking at our own use of technology can be useful just to look at you know do we need to do a spring clean digitally and this is something I always try and do. So I try and not follow too many people on social media. I try and limit the amount of time that I'm spending, like checking emails and things like that. But I think also on the flip side, you know, for example, just looking again with that curiosity rather than with judgment and guilt and saying, oh, you know, I've I actually really enjoyed binge watching that series on Netflix recently or, um, you know, was something I've just been doing. I spend a lot of time reading on my Kindle at the moment because I'm trying to buy fewer books. Our home just can't hold them all. And I've just been reading a really fun book and spent ages on my Kindle, you know, more time than I usually would have because it was just a really fun book and I wanted to know what happened next. And I think sometimes observing our own habits can give us more empathy when it comes to thinking about our children. And I think for myself, it's been a really good lesson in remembering what it's like when I've just watched an episode of something that's really enjoyable and really fun and I just really want to watch the next one and I can when my daughter says oh I'm really enjoying this can I watch another one and rather than rushing in and thinking well you know I prefer you to only watch an hour of screen time every day to remember oh I know what that feels like if we don't have to rush off to do anything else and if I'm observing that you know that's kind of going to be okay for her you know she's not bouncing off the walls while doing so um, then actually, you know, maybe that isn't a good reason to say, no, you must end it now, just because you've already reached some arbitrary time. So I think thinking about our own screen time, both in terms of modelling healthier habits, but also in terms of allowing that curiosity to seep into the decisions that we make for how we step in with our children can be really, really valuable. I love especially that you polled your audience and this whole piece on guilt. So many parents and carers are feeling so guilty around this topic and um, it's just not helpful. I think for one of the main reasons is it, it decreases our confidence in our interactions with mm. our children and that's so palpable to them. Um, and I think when they, they feel that, you know, you don't feel like you said, especially when we're setting arbitrary limits and they are, they just see right through that kind of thing. Like, well, wh why? Like that doesn't. So I think like you're saying an approach where you're engaging with your children and, and trying to, you know, decrease your own guilt and decrease the things in your sphere that maybe bringing that guilt in can be so helpful. It's such a, such a good tip. Thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. And I think just more broadly as well, again, you know, from from so much of the, the books and the research that I've read, I really do want to stress to any parent out there who's feeling guilt. I really haven't been able to find like compelling, conclusive evidence that using technology is harmful to children. I think that is, you know, there are things which suggest that, again, the quality of what children are watching is important. And that children also need to be doing other things. So they need to be going outside and moving their bodies. You know, they need to be having interactions with their friends, some of which can sometimes also happen through technology. You know, it's, it's nice if your child enjoys reading or playing and all of these things. So I think that's almost where I would put my focus on. And I think sometimes we can become so fixated with 
technology and the screens. But I almost think sometimes that's the wrong emphasis and that if we, rather than emphasizing the screens or the technology, instead just focus on, can I just create a rich life for my child where they have access to different experiences, you know, where they do have maybe a family culture of getting outside or of reading books or of having lots of time just to rest and play. Um, I think then almost the screens sort of that issue takes care of itself because even if your child then is watching some movies or having some time gaming with a friend, you know that that's not the most important thing in their life and that their life is feeling, I guess, a little bit more balanced, um, which I think, again, is something that we need to as adults. And I know that when I've had days where I've just been staring at my computer and haven't been outside for a walk, I feel it in my body and I feel it in how grumpy I feel at the end of the day. So I think, again, it's it's shifting the discussion sometimes. And that's not to say that it doesn't matter what our children are consuming. Um, and I think, you know, there are, there are bigger and deeper conversations to have, which we possibly won't have time for today around, you know, trying to keep our children safe online and ensuring that they are, you know, spending too long close to bed or that they are, um, you know, they know what to do if they're being bullied online, things like that. Um, what to do if, if they're being shown fake news. But I think focusing too much on the screens and on limiting those screens, I think apart from anything else, it often is what um, then will create a sort of incentive to spend as much time on possible because children know they're restricted. So I think in the same way that um, lots of intuitive eating writers and researchers talk about giving access to a wide range of foods and not necessarily putting labels on them such as bad foods and good foods and just having access to foods that children know they can eat when they're hungry removes a lot of that pressure to kind of you know shove your face full of full of crisps or chocolate when you suddenly get access to it um i think the same can often be said about screens too that when we put so much emphasis on controlling and limiting and boundarying the technology use then that can, you know, when we get fixated by it, our children, I think, sense that and also become quite fixated by it. Whereas if it's just another another tool in a really rich, wide, varied life, I think it, it can reduce the pressure for everyone. Yes. And I loved the example that you brought in tying into kind of healthy eating. I have a very confident friend who has two young children, just a little older than mine too. And she's just starting to um, navigate and integrate uh, the use of digital technology and screens and discovering what's healthy for her family. And she's just like so confident and chill as I see her navigating this. Um, and, you know, I said to her, I said, well, like, what's been your approach? Like, how are you? And she said to me, she said, you know, screens and digital technology and stuff, it's just like eating healthy. You know, we all know you can't just eat ice cream all day long, but also it's not bad if you have a ice cream. Like, it's yeah. just that simple. And I was like, ah, yes, it is. it is." You know, like we know, in t she said, it's kind of intuitive. Like, what does what makes us feel good? And having conversations with our children too, like, do they feel good when they're, yes. you know, sitting all day long? And, you know, that's the kind of what, that's the way I navigate it with my children. There's no, um, like this, I, she was exactly describing what kind of what you just did, which is it's not this, this is bad and this is good. And this yes. is what we do sort of, you know, well, how does it make me feel when I do mm. this? And how does it make feel when you when you you know eat this or when you're sitting for two hours versus like 
you know, 20 and then going outside and having those conversations and a healthy balance, like you're saying, it is, uh, that to me sounds like a really healthy approach. Yeah. And I think there are other similarities, you know, where it can also be really fun to like, as you were saying, you know, if you have some ice cream, it's also often quite a social thing, isn't it? Go out and you all get ice cream together because it's a beautiful day or you've had a big family meal and you all choose to have some cake afterwards. Um, And I think also sometimes we see technology as something which children do in isolation. And again, I think this is where some privilege comes in, in that it's not always going to be possible to sit with your child with every every interaction technologically that they have and certainly now that my daughter's older she'll often watch her you know watch her shows and she won't necessarily want me to sit and watch with her although sometimes she will ask me to and I'll always try and watch one with her but I think if we can it is nice to be able to share our children's worlds too and to you know I know that my daughter really likes it if she's been watching a a particular show and I make an effort to learn who the main characters are or you know learn the theme song with her or something like that so that it becomes another point of connection and I think there's so much discussed around technology being a sort of a disconnect within families and you know this this kind of um which I think again is quite a scaremongering idea of this whole family who are all sitting on their own individual individual screens and no one's talking to each other um but I think at least in my experience, that hasn't been the case. And screens, as it, you know, they've just been another tool and another or another activity that she enjoys doing sometimes. And I think when we are able to spend a little bit of time understanding what our children are doing or understanding what they're watching and trying to be a part of that, I think that is also really beneficial because again, we're nurturing that relationship, we're supporting our children, but we're just showing an interest and we're showing them that we, you know, we approve of all of them. And I think sometimes we can, again, with that guilt that we feel ourselves, be quite judgmental of our children's use of TV in a way that we're not if they're playing Lego for two hours or if they're painting or drawing for two hours. But yet if they're sitting and watching a show for two hours, we we freak out a bit. So I think when we allow ourselves, again, that word kind of being curious, being really curious with our children, being it, in, involving them in what we're doing and trying to involve ourselves in what they're doing and showing them that, yeah, they, they can talk to us about it and we're interested in what's going on for them or what's important to them. So after all this conversation about how it's not so black and white with screens, how we need to eliminate guilt, now I have to ask such a challenging question to following all of that. But I do have to ask because, um, and I'm curious where you're going to go with this too now, um, I, of all the questions that I get asked um, as people who are coming to the Waldorf approach, or they're like, where do I start? And like the impetus for this entire season practically is parents saying, uh, it always kind of comes back to this. How do I decrease screen time? How do I get mm. rid or like, how do I get rid of the screen? So I'm wondering if we can kind of break down this question and yeah. digest it, I guess, in, in a healthy way for, for listening parents and carers. Yeah. So I think my first question, which is probably not hugely surprising, would be why? You know, why do you want to do this? And I think sometimes there is a need within families to decrease screens. You know, sometimes a parent has done exactly what I was talking about, you know, having that relationship, being really curious about their child, um, really paying attention to and observing how their child reacts with certain amounts of screen time or technology. 
and has decided that actually, you know, for my child, I feel really confident that they would be happier and they would thrive with less technology in their lives. And I think that is probably, you know, a, a, a positive way to be approaching this. But I also think that sometimes there is just this sort of amorphous sense that I should be doing less screen time and parents don't really know why they want to do that. Maybe they've read an article or maybe they are new to a different sort of approach, which says, well, maybe screen time is less ideal. And I, I think those two things are quite different. So I would really be encouraging anyone who's thinking about how do I reduce screen time to first just be curious with yourself. Why am I feeling this? Am I feeling a pressure from somebody who doesn't really know my family, doesn't really know my children? to be following a different sort of way of parenting than I've already been doing. And again, sometimes we might reach that point and say, actually, yes, you know what, it has come from someone else, but I'm really, I feel really confident that this is going to be the right step for my family. But whatever decision you choose to make, I would just say to stay curious about why you're deciding to do this. I think the next, depending on the age of your child, but almost certainly, you know, if they're at an age where you're already thinking about okay, maybe we need to kind of go cold turkey with screens or with reducing technology, is I would talk to your children about it. You know, we are the adults in our children's lives, but we do not get to decide everything about their lives. I feel really strongly that, you know, children have a right to decide how they want to live their lives. They're people. We just happen to be the people who have a responsibility to keep them safe and well. So I would be having a conversation with my child saying, you know, I've noticed that when you are, you know, whatever the situation is, when you're playing Minecraft all afternoon, you're really struggling to reintegrate into family life. And I noticed that you, you know, whatever we're noticing, or I've noticed that your relationship with your sister has been struggling a bit recently as you've been really focused on, um, watching this show and she hasn't really felt like she's had a space in your life so again I would be trying to have a discussion with my child about what I was feeling was happening Mm -hmm. and seeing what their responses were too and I think sometimes children will also say you know what yeah I think that I have been using this too much or I've noticed this but even if they don't I think still it's respectful to be able to talk to children about the decisions that we make even if it turns out that we're going to make a decision which is unpopular with them I think we still owe it to our children to be really open with them with the decisions that we make Um, I think otherwise it can feel very arbitrary that some you know and it can also feel like a punishment that oh suddenly this thing that was really important to me in my life has just been taken away you know I would like to think that if my husband thought that I was spending too much time on social media or was concerned about the amount of TV I was watching would would talk to me about it you know (laughs) he might say hey I'm feeling a bit concerned you know I love you and I'm noticing this and it's giving me some worries can we talk about it so I would like to try and I guess extend that same respect to the children in my life as well you know it's their life this is clearly something that's important to them in the here and now if they're spending lots of time on it so can we try and approach it together as a team and as a family but I think you know if you are really in a space where you've had some discussions you think that your child would benefit from having either you know changing what they are doing with their time on screen so maybe there's a show that they've been really enjoying which you've realized is really violent and is having a really big impact on how they're processing that. 
or maybe it's just that they're spending too long sitting and not being active whatever it is then again you know I think sometimes it can be really tempting to focus on the screens themselves but I think it can be quite useful especially if it's not I guess severe and maybe we can sort of talk about like addiction in a moment um, but I think if it's just a case of wanting to reduce then I would be looking at rather than focusing hugely on just the screen time I would be really looking at are there other things that you can offer instead so for example can you get down on the floor and play with your children for a little bit can you put some art invitations out you know get some exciting new paints or get some new coloring pencils um, can you organize some trips out with your family and again you know I'm aware of the the layers of privilege which are inherent in being able to do this and like you were saying at the beginning if you have a child who for example is spending lots of time alone at home then you may have to just accept that having a you know having an active say on the amount of screen time they're having is not really going to be in your power in that time um but I think for a lot of families you know I notice that if we are out all day for example we will probably use much less technology that day because we'll be going out and doing stuff rather than watching things or researching things or using you know a maths app and things like that um and I think sometimes especially if it's a transitional period having some extra things which are fun to do as a family and which are connecting and which don't involve screens can be really useful in transitioning to using technology less and I think that goes for us as well you know when we're trying to do any kind of digital detox for ourselves or when we're trying to think about our own screen use you know when we're busy and when we're out I really notice that my phone use decreases and on days where I'm at home and don't really have many plans they are definitely the days where I spend much more time on my phone I think also you know in in probably very extreme circumstances where and I, you know, I'm not a child psychologist, I wouldn't want to diagnose anything, but where we really have a sense that screens are really not working for our child in this moment. And we're feeling very overwhelmed in that, you know, our child is having a really hard time, you know, maybe they are a bit older and have been, you know, encountering some bullying online, or they've seen something really upsetting. Maybe we have a younger child who just for whatever reason is really not able to self-regulate. I think in some situations it can be, and for some children, it can be easier just to go no screen rather than having sort of limits and boundaries. And again, you know, all families are different, which is why I would never want to say, this is my five-step approach to having a perfect amount of screen time for your child. But I think if you feel in your gut that your child would really benefit from not having technology in their lives, and it doesn't have to be forever, but maybe they're little and you think, you know what, we just need a break for a while, for a few months, maybe for a year. Um, then I think going cold turkey can sometimes be easier. And often what parents have found is that it's hard for a couple of days and then children just sort of adapt to it. But again, I would really want to be sort of curious and really thinking about if that was the right step for my child. And I know that, for example, there are lots of families whose children are neurodivergent who have said, you know, actually my child spends a lot of time online, but it's really it's really good for them and it's allowing them to make friends in situations where perhaps they might have found friendships more difficult or it can be really regulating for them so I really wouldn't want to make anyone feel like oh gosh maybe we need to become cold turkey too but I think for some families where they've really noticed a change in their children's behavior 
you know, behavior is communication. And I think sometimes it's communication, but we don't realize we are communicating, but it is still communication nevertheless. And I think when we can see our children's behavior as, okay, maybe this is really telling me that something needs to change in our family life. And maybe that thing needs to be technology at the moment. Then, yeah, I think sometimes going cold turkey can be really helpful. And But I think, again, we have to also kind of hold up our end of the bargain as parents. And I think we then need to be really mindful that we're not sort of overusing technology around our children in that time because it doesn't doesn't seem very fair. But something that I have found helpful for our family, I suppose, and again, for lots of families I know do something similar, is we don't have a television. Um, so it's not not on show all the time. You know, we if my daughter watches a show, she'll watch it on our laptops. And that can be put away after use. So it's not like it's just sitting there staring at her. It's not the focus of our living space. And just, I think, psychologically, that feels quite nice to not have that. So, you know, there's no room that you walk into and the temptation is always there. Um, and I've said to families sometimes in the past, you know, well, maybe if there's a temptation to just turn on the TV whenever you walk into the room or to leave the TV on throughout the day, that might be a good prompt to perhaps think about getting rid of a TV and having different ways. So I know some families, for example, have a projector, which I would really like to do at some point so that they can watch family movies on a big screen, but it's not all the time just there being tempting. So again, you know, talking about food, if we say to our children, yes, you know, you can you can eat a nice wide variety of food, but equally, if we just had a platter of, you know, little chocolate cakes right in the middle of our sitting area or our living area or our dining table that were permanently available, then I think it would take very strong willpower if you are a child who likes chocolate cake to walk past and not eat them. And I'm sure that at some point, maybe the child would regulate, but maybe some children wouldn't. And some children would just eat loads of chocolate cake and then have a, a stomach ache. And I think it's the same thing, you know, when we have screens which are super available, I think then it just becomes harder because then we're relying more on either our children's willpower or on our own limits. And I think that's where things can become more complicated anyway. So it's one of the reasons why we haven't given my daughter. Actually, she has a child's Kindle because she's now at an age where she's just devouring chapter books one after the other. And so we have got a child's Kindle for her. But interesting, after the first kind of couple of weeks of getting it, she now prefers reading chapter books in sort of paperback version anyway. Um, but it, it doesn't have any games or anything on. So it's literally just she can read books on it. But we've decided for, for that reason not to give her um, a tablet yet or a laptop of her own or anything like that. Just, I think, partly to you know, to make it so that it doesn't have to be an act of her own willpower and her own, yeah, her own decision making right now, because she still feels very little to be doing that. So I think we can sometimes take some of that burden to make those decisions for our children. And we can feel confident about doing that too. Well, thank you so much for all of that. And thank you for this incredible discussion that I hope really kind of took a weight off of 
parents and Kara's shoulders, you know, in, in terms of it doesn't have to be so black and white as it came up so many times in this conversation surrounding screens. And yeah, just thank you for being such an incredible guest. I'm wondering if you can talk about all of your offerings. Now you offer courses, which I participated in are incredible. Um, you have a book and I know you have another book coming out soon. Maybe you can talk about that too and where yes. people can uh, find you and connect with you on social media as well. Of course. So I think the best place to connect with me online is on Instagram, where I am at mighty mother underscore. And that's probably the, sp the space that I spend the most time with my own screen use on. Um, but yeah, as you say, I also run a variety of courses. So I currently offer, I've just been streamlining my offer actually. So I currently offer three courses. So I offer one for specifically home educating parents which is all about home education. I offer one which is looking at different pedagogies. So looking at, we do a week on Waldorf, a week on Montessori, a week on Charlotte Mason. Um, not specifically geared at home educators, but this course is, I think, more geared towards parents who have children who are seven and under. And then I have a course on parenting, which I'm just in the middle of updating at the moment, which is going to have my old course on screen time brought in as a bonus to it. Um, so that will be looking at how we parent, but it's looking kind of at parenting as a radical act, which can really support children's rights and which can make the world a better place too. And so that will be looking at things like parenting without punishments, looking at some background of how we see children and how we can really be allies for children and their rights in the home. So yeah, that, that's what I'm doing at the moment. If any of those are interesting, you can go and find them on my website, which is freedabemighty.com. And as Ashley says, I have written a book a couple of years ago, which is called Extraordinary Parenting, The Essential Guide to Parenting and Educating at Home, which came out right in the kind of the midst of the early pandemic, um, which we had designed myself and my editor to be a really helpful and reassuring guide to parents who had been plunged into home educating because of the pandemic. But it's also written in a way which I hope feels very supportive to parents who, like me, have chosen to home educate and for whom that is a, a positive choice rather than something they've been forced into. Um, and that talks about parenting, it talks about relationships, talks a lot about rhythm, um, setting up your space and your family home talks about education and then it also has a real focus on our self-care as parents and caregivers as well and like you say I'm currently working on my next book which still doesn't have a title should run a caption contest for it or something but will be coming out in early 2024 and that's a book which is on children's liberation and children's rights and kind of asking the question of if we changed how we treated and raised and educated children what kind of impact that might have on children themselves, but also on society more broadly. So yeah, I'm very excited. I'm in the midst of researching it and writing it at the moment and have been having some really interesting conversations as part of my research. So I'm really looking forward to bringing it out into the world for everyone to be able to read in due course. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for writing. And uh, anyone who goes to follow you on social media, especially on Instagram, I know I have gotten so many of my favorite books, like 
parenting related and not from your um, social media, things you've shared to read. And I know you're such an avid reader and I just love that. So um, thank you again so much for speaking with me. It's been a real honor. Thank you so much. It's been such a delight to to join the Waldorfy podcast. It's one of my favorite podcasts. So it's such a joy to be here. Thank you. Wow. So firstly, I have to say that I personally gained so much from this conversation with Eloise and my children are very young. So we're just beginning to have discussions uh, as parents around how we're going to introduce different things and what's developmentally appropriate. Um, And we look to the Waldorf approach for a lot of that, but a lot of it, we look to other resources. Uh, Like I mentioned, when I spoke with Eloise, data or research um, or other experts, we often kind of look out for and uh, read uh, other sources, I should say, to learn more about developing our approach to different topics and and our parenting style, my husband and I. And I really just gained so much, again, from this conversation with Eloise. And I hope that you all did too. I think she really opened this door to that this really isn't a black and white topic. I mentioned it earlier when I spoke with her. I think within the Waldorf bubble, there's just this attention on like screen time bad and no screen time good. And that's just, it's just not quite that simple, I think. And for me, I really reflected after speaking with Eloise on the area that I really need to work on and focus on with my uh, two young children is how much I've tried to keep screen time and the use of digital technology out of their little uh Waldorf child bubble, I should say. Uh, And I think that it could be communicated to them through my modeling that there maybe is something to fear or something bad about the use of digital technologies. Uh, One of the ways that I don't do that is through, you know, the use of sparkle stories. And I really kind of in a, in a moment, I was like, oh, am I messing that up? And then I realized, well, you know, there are ways that actually we are we are starting to engage together with technology that I feel are safe and developmentally appropriate. And I observe that it is working uh, for my son. And like I said, for us at this time, that is Sparkle Stories. When I pull up Sparkle Stories, I use a little uh, Bluetooth speaker. So my son doesn't have like a screen or anything around him at the time, but we select the story together. And the Sparkle Stories website doesn't have like cartoons popping around. Um, I'm just going through and reading like the list of stories and we're both looking at my phone during that time. Um, So in that way, we're working together to select something that he's going to enjoy that is the use of digital technologies. I mentioned it at the start of this episode that we do FaceTime and I really don't know what to do to kind of improve my son's experience through that. Uh, We have grandparents that gave us a Facebook portal and I have to say anybody that does, that's interested in, you know, trying to uh, develop a conscious approach to the use of screens and digital technology and you FaceTime a lot, the Facebook portal is a great option to really make uh, the FaceTime experience like more calming and less like intense and overwhelmed. I mentioned that my son does get overwhelmed by FaceTiming and just kind of like gets really overwhelmed and like his energy explodes after being focused on that tiny screen. And the way that the portal actually, especially if you're 
doing like a portal to portal, I should say, experience um, that we've done with the grandparents. It's so steady. And the portal like gently, like uh, if a cousin through the portal goes to find a toy in the room, it like gently follows them. And then they gently come back um, with that toy to show the cousin. And we've had much more positive experiences with that Facebook portal, I I have to say. Um, And it's really been lovely for all of us. Unfortunately, our portal has not worked in like three months since we've actually been here in Key West, Florida, so far from all of our family, which has been a big bummer um, and made me think of, again, how much my son just like struggles with FaceTime. Other than that, uh, those kind of two uses, our approach to the use of digital technology in our home with our almost four-year-old and our 10-month-old is pretty much zero. We don't uh, use any, you know, tablet when we travel. We don't use any of these things. I've never struggled traveling uh, with kind of entertaining or, uh, you know, having them be like patient on the flight. And I have a very, very active, almost four-year-old, like he's my little monkey and jumping all over the place. And I mean, I wish there were monkey bars that went all the way down the aisle on the plane. That'd be super. There are not. And we've still managed. Uh, And uh, I should say the last time I flew, I even, the way I was strategic about it, I even knit three rows and I flew by myself with a three and a half year old and like a seven month old. I only knit three rows, but they were like, the best that's like the best knitting experience i've ever had i was like this is my i'm making it as a mom right now and you have so few of those moments or i do anyways i had to like really celebrate i digress um so our approach is kind of nothing and i love how eloise had me really reflecting on where what where did these thoughts in in my head as a parent come from or what what's informing that is it my child in front of me is it that something's dictating that to me from like the waldorf sphere or what i know about waldorf and i actually brought this up with my husband and I think it's really a combination for us of what we got to experience as young children. I mentioned in this episode, my husband, uh, who I always describe as like the perfect little Waldorf baby, he didn't really experience, I think maybe his grandparents, he might have like watched Mr. Rogers or like, you know, Sesame Street or something like once or twice, but he really wasn't like watching a movie or something. Didn't have a TV in his TV in his home until like eight, nine, ten. And then I think he was watching like black and white funnies or he watched the Olympics. I know one year um, when he was younger. Um, and just what I've observed in the adults that I know that that whose parents implemented something along those lines um, is is really interesting. Um, and I don't really know how to even articulate it. Uh, the way we engage with screens now, some of them are like on their iPhones all the time. Some uh, kids I grew up with who, or I should say adults that were kids when I went to Waldorf school with them. Um, and some are just completely immersed in experiences and life and work that's so separate from that. Um, to contrast that, my husband's best friend that he grew up with, he grew up uh, with some limits around, you know, screen time and the use of digital technology. And now he is in uh, web design. He's been very successful on that in New York City for years and years. So our approach is mostly formed by what we experienced when we were growing up and how we both felt it worked for us um, in our upbringing. And it really was as parents early on, like the one thing we were both like, 
this is really important to us. Um, when we had a baby, just we didn't have a TV in our home and we didn't like use screens. Even with FaceTime, I did not really use FaceTime until now my second is 10 months old. And same thing about with my first, it was like seven or 10 months old. I really tried to have like nothing in front of the little baby. Um, that just, that was just intuitive. That's just what made sense for us and and for our children and for our family. When I look at, uh, as Eloise was saying, is a good way to uh, begin approaching screens and digital technology, when I do look at my son, who's uh, almost four in front of me, um, and of course how he reacts to screen time, I do think we're doing something that's in, that's in line with meeting his needs. I really don't think at this point for us introducing any more, any more of the use of screens or... Um, or, or any other digital technology is going to somehow support his uh, natural development. And that's always how I really look at anything uh, with my young children is how is this actually going to support their natural development? So far, really the only thing I've found uh, using digital technology for their age is Sparkle Stories. I've mentioned it already so many times. You're probably getting tired of hearing me speak about that in this episode. But um, yeah, it just feels really developmentally appropriate. And I know other parents that I've spoken with feel so comfortable with the use of Sparkle Stories as well, be it four-year-olds, five-year-olds, friends I have with nine-year-olds. I do like how Eloise mentioned uh, that children who are neurodivergent may have a really different experience with the use of screen time and digital technology. And just again, to observe the child in front of you is so important. I really, it's just, it's dependent on the child. It's dependent on the family. It's dependent on the developmental phase. And all of these things I think matter and how you craft the way that you approach this topic in your home. I really feel like I could go on and on about this topic forever, but I I think we spoke so much uh, with Eloise earlier that I think I think I'll just leave it at that. And that, of course, over time, our approach, my husband and I as parents, will evolve. I can tell you that right now. And I hope we are able to manage that in a graceful way. And as Eloise mentioned, I love she just was so graceful in uh, articulating that it really is this dance between letting go and allowing the child to have some autonomy in their own choices. And their being in the world while at the same time being uh, offering safety and security. That's the way I saw it when she mentioned that. Um, and that that is just a challenge in parenting altogether. And of course, uh, you know, another challenge to meet with this topic as well, isn't it? Again, a big thanks to all of our generous Walderfee Patreon supporters. Learn more and sign up to become a supporter at patreon.com forward slash Walderfee. A huge thanks again to Sparkle Stories, our Walderfee Season 7 podcast partner. To get access to an extended 30-day free trial of Sparkle Stories, just use coupon code Walderfee at checkout. And you can visit sparklestories.com forward slash Walderfee, where you can also sign up. And find the playlist of audio stories for young children that accompany this episode and a playlist that accompany each episode within this seventh season. I, of course, can't thank all of you enough for listening in and supporting the show in that way. We have so many people now listening to the show, and I, I am amazed at all the time and so grateful for all of you. It's super supportive and helpful when you do go and write a review after listening. The best place to do that is Apple Podcasts, but you can do that on almost any podcast listening 
listening platform. You can also follow along on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and definitely the most active on Instagram where I've been actually sharing some visuals and more info on our approach with some of these topics and how they intersect, which is interesting too. Um, And I've been doing that over in the stories and some posts on the Instagram page. And I'm at bwalderfee on Instagram. That's B-E-Walderfee. And again, yeah, just thank you all so much for tuning in. Be well.